You may have heard of us, but you might not know Bank First is a community bank that has no fee ATM access, interest, and perks earning checking accounts. With online and mobile banking, mortgages for every stage of life, and modern business banking for businesses, small and big. We keep it all together to put you first. Do you bank with us? You should. Bank First is an equal housing lender and a member FDIC. Well, it's Thursday, not Friday, because we have the strange non-conference Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. Mount St. Mary's coming in. I'm Charlie Winfield. He's Bart Gregory. Bart, we get used to Thursday, Friday, Saturday when we're going to be on TV now and then in the um, Southeastern Conference play. Not so. I can't remember a time that we have done this outside the league. No, I can't either. And it, what is it? Some kind of scheduling deal. It's got to be a scheduling. I am told that it is a travel issue for Mount St. Mary's in terms of getting out. Although I don't terribly understand that because they don't play again until Wednesday up in Princess Anne, Maryland. But in any event, we are in the Farm Bureau studios. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. You can check out their rates at favorites. Dot com agents in all 82 of Mississippi's counties. If you need insurance, look to our friends at Farm Bureau. If you need a good baseball opponent, this ain't it. Look further down the schedule. <laughs> and Charlie, that's this one is the, not an RPI builder. No, and and look at this at 10,000 feet. And I think a lot of people have when you take a gander at our schedule here early in the season, and that's why it made it so important to have a really good record coming out of non-conference play in the first four weekends of the season because you you know you open your season against Air Force who will not have a very big good RPI and then last weekend you play Georgia Southern who has a chance to have a decent RPI and then Mount St. Mary's is going to be an RPI killer Evansville next weekend will not have much of an RPI at all and so yeah this weekend you know, we talked about the last two weekends about how, well, you know, taking two out of three will be good, and it's imperative that you sweep this weekend. The Mountaineers of the Mount. Wait, who said taking two out of three would be good? Well, two out of three was acceptable. Who said that? Well, let's go back to, well, nobody said that. Okay. I definitely didn't say it, but I was kind of being nice about it. All right, well, I mean, just so we know what we're dealing with here. Well, on Sunday Coffee, we've gotten in here and said, okay, these are our must-wins just to win two out of three. We better not be – well, Sunday Coffee, we'll have all three played. So we'll have a different feel this week. We'll know everything on Sunday. The good, the bad, and the ugly. If you do, by the way, a search of RPI on Warren Nolan, who is kind of the default for me when I go to look at college baseball RPI, I go to warrennolan.com. And here is what Warren Nolan would tell you. I did a search, by the way, of the word Mary. So I found when I did that that there are six teams on the Warren Nolan College Baseball RPI who have some version of Mary within their name. The highest ranked is St. Mary's College. They're on the West Coast. They come in at number 31. At 61, you have William and Mary. And again, it's way too early for RPI to mean too much, but I'm going Think with you. Big picture. Yep. At number 106 is Maryland, the state of Maryland. Terrapins. 135, Loyola Marymount. At 230 is Marion Eastern Shore. Don't 
not familiar with their work. And at 304, surpassed only by Central Connecticut in the race to the bottom of the Warren Nolan RPI is Mount St. Mary's. So we're next to last this weekend. They are 304 out of 305. Well, uh, it is early. They do have an opportunity to to pick that up. Started from the bottom, now we're here. They are 1-5 in in Quadrant 4 games. Ooh. 0-1 in Quadrant 3 games. All right, so here we are. They are below Alabama A&M. They are below Norfolk State at 301, who took two out of three from them, their only win of the year. Oh, Norfolk State took two out of three from them, but Norfolk State's RPI is what? 301. (laughs) Okay. All right, so this is not the weekend that I want to hear. Man, that that pitching staff really developed for them. Boy, that guy was landing (laughs) curveballs for strikes all weekend. Pitched the game of his life. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Hey, listen. I could pitch the game of my life. I could go out there and pitch the game of my life, and if it's against the Rangers, it ain't going to be enough. You yeah. know what I'm saying? They throw the records out the window when Mississippi State and Mount St. Mary's get together. It's a grudge match. Oh, well, okay. And so this is not a knock on them or their institution. Let me be clear. This is not a knock on their baseball program, anything else. What it is – is just a reality of these are teams in different leagues. It's it's like basketball. Can a mid-major beat a power school? Yeah, but all in all, there's a reason the big schools are the big schools. Well, and, and at the end of the year, which is crazy, is playing this in a three-game series, you would be better off in an RPI standpoint of playing Southern University or Jackson State in a three-game series from an RPI standpoint. All than, true. Than playing – this weekend, and like I said, that's not a knock at, at Mount St. Mary's. They lost to Richmond. Now they, they lost some close games to Richmond last weekend. They lost seven to six and, and nine to eight, and they played in Richmond. They lost fourteen to three earlier this year at uh, at Maryland, who is you know a really a pretty good ball club this year. And so this weekend, Charlie, man, I like the way that you try to make a ten run rule sound better. Uh, yeah, it got away from them late. It's what it did, but. That old adage, this weekend's about us. Okay, so let's let's pick up on our conversation we had on Sunday. Because you brought something to the table Sunday morning on Sunday coffee that I watched the game the other day on Sunday when we played against Georgia Southern and then on Tuesday night against Jackson State. And I guess it kind of brought something in my mind and in my for, you know, forefront of how are we pitching – early in bat at bats because we had two games against Austin P and then the first two games last weekend we gave up 14 hits on an OO count. I thought last Sunday and then in the midweek too we we mixed pitches okay on OO. Now Colby Holcomb he was throwing fastballs on first pitch. Colby is kind of fighting it right now. He's he's just trying to throw strikes. But I tell you one of the other things that I looked at is the stat that you brought up about the number of 0-2 hits and 1-2 hits that we've given up and the and the good pitches that were center cut, center center at the plate when we're ahead 1-2, 0-2. Because in, in the world of pitching, those are put-away counts. That's when you spike that breaking ball in the dirt. 0-2 not normally, 1-2 is. And, you know, I, I think, Charlie – that you brought up a great point on Sunday about how I think our guys are scared to death to walk people because that's what's been beating their head 
in the entire past two years and in the offseason that on a one-two count, I'm I'm going to throw it. If it's center cut, it's center cut because I don't want to get to ball two, which could lead to ball three, which could lead to ball four. Am I Was I overanalyzing that too much? Not at all. Now, some of them, going back and doing a little digging, are misses. Some of them are, we want the ball up. We want a fastball up out of the zone. We want to challenge the hitter, so we don't want it over his head. But we want it up, and we're just missing in the middle. Some of them are, we wanted a slider in the dirt, and we get one that backs up on you in the middle of the plate. And so some of it is a miss. Some of it is exactly what you say of being so scared of throwing ball one that really if you look at it, I think you could argue that as a pitching staff, we have taken a big step one. The big step one is for the most part, say for an example that we'll get back to, we're throwing strikes. The next step is knowing when not to. You know, it's people don't really think about this, but I think you can argue that some guys throw too many strikes. Oh, yeah. I completely agree with that. Unless you're throwing with tremendous movement. I mean, if you're throwing with tremendous, like a Greg Maddox, who threw everything that had movement, he threw strikes. Pure Rivera. Right. I mean, if, if nobody you, can hit it. You can't hit it because it's so good. But we don't have anybody with unhittable stuff in the middle of the plate. I'm going to go ahead and call it right now. After week four of SEC play, we're going to look out and we're going to say, all right, our walks, that walk stat is down tremendously from the first four weekends through four, first four weekends of SEC play from the last two years. That walk number is going to be drastically lower. But our opponent batting average number is going to be, I'm going to say, 20 to 20, 25 points higher. Would you disagree with that? That's a lot. I might be – no, I think you may be right. Now, the only thing I'm going to say is wrong about that is because we have given up – we gave up a bunch of hits – in the first four weeks of SEC play last year because it was a 3-1 pitch or a 2-0 pitch. The other thing I was going to say, though, is I think what you've got now is a pitching staff that's trying to get more ground balls than we did a year ago. Some of those are going to get through. Right. Right, you're going to give up some base hits. But let's look instead, instead of opponent batting average, at opponent on base percentage. Yeah, that's a good number. Okay. Because that – well, part of it is you got to adjust for the schedule, too, because we're going to some pretty good guys. You get the idea, though. I think we gave up so many walks last year that it was staggering. I was looking around the league right now, and it's really hard to judge, but everybody's about eight, nine games in right now. We've walked 27. The worst in the league is Van – no, actually, Ole Miss has walked 55. LSU has walked 46. Vanderbilt, 44. So – We've done a pretty good job. Now, we haven't faced the, the opponents that some of those teams have played. You know, Georgia has not played a good schedule yet. You know, LSU has played well, – LSU really hasn't played a great schedule yet. I mean, I think they played Houston this weekend. They got Lafayette and some of those teams over there. Um, we are fourth in the league in walks right now. I'm going to say our on-base percentage is not going to be that drastically different because – We are 12th in the league in opponent batting average, to your point. Well, but we're fielding it so much better, which is going to keep guys off the base. I mean, you think of a on-base percentage last year, how many guys got on base when they didn't deserve to be on base. And they may have been hits 
I mean, because we've been generous <laughs> with our scoring, it kind of skews toward the hitters. I mean, we had probably had a lot more errors last year than went in the book as an error. Does it surprise you? And I get it. I mean, we're nine games in. Does it surprise you by the lack of home runs we've hit? If you want – so, let me put it in context. We've hit five home runs as a team. A&M's hit 18. Georgia's hit 27. Ole Miss has hit 18. Auburn's hit 15. Tennessee, 17. There are only two other schools in single digits, Arkansas at seven, Vanderbilt at nine. Now, Arkansas was playing some really good competition to start, right? Yeah, they were. They went out – you know, they went to, to – I Dallas. say really good. But. Well, it is better than what everybody else has played. Now, you kind of ask yourself the question about the number of ground balls that we've hit this year because what we have seen is not what we're going to see later in the style of pitching. I mean, we've seen a lot of sync with left-handed pitching here early in the year, which is the kryptonite for any team and to hit a bunch of ground balls. When you start getting into power arms that try to elevate, you're going to see more fly balls, I think, and especially when it gets warmer, even though it hasn't been just tremendously cold. It's going to be cold later today. This is first thing on a Thursday. It's going to be chilly today. Now, all right, Hunter Hines. All right, Hunter is batting 378 right now, just a tick below 400. And by the way, one of the things we haven't talked about is the start that Amani Larry has gotten off to this year. He's batting over 400 right now. Hunter Hines is batting 378. So the batting average is ticked up for Hunter. Only two doubles. He's got 12 singles, two doubles, and 14 hits for Hunter Hines. You mentioned the home run number. Those are going to come for Hunter Hines. Yeah. They're, they're, they are going to come. So I think that home run number, even though it has been low here early in the season. I don't know about you, but I am way more interested early in the season in Hunter Hines' batting average than his home run totals. Yeah. I've seen that he can do that. He, he's proven that he has that tool. Right. I'd like to get it out of his head a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I, absolutely. I mean, can you make the argument that Hunter Hines is a more productive hitter when he's hitting for average? I think you can. Absolutely. I'm not saying oh, you yeah. give up all the home runs. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, what's what has been the knock from fans on Hunter Hines? It's that all he wants to do is hit home runs. And so, if he's doing something other than that, I think it makes it harder to pitch to him. It does. But here's, the, here's also the thing when you start looking at Hunter Hines. The two doubles kind of surprises you. But here's the thing. All right, he's going to pull everything. <laughs> I mean, we've established the fact Hunter is who he is hitting the ball. He's going to hit the ball from center field to right field. And you think about defensive positioning early this season against Hunter Hines. And teams are going to play him at a shift. So what does that mean? The second baseman is going to be back deeper, but also the right fielder is going to be deeper. And so you get the angles better. The balls that usually get to the gap or the corner for a double are not because you got the right fielder playing so deep. Does that make any sense? No, absolutely. And so that also, the shift you know, is there to take away singles, but that shift is also taking away doubles as well. Now, with our left-handed hitters, it's hard to make the case that wind has been a problem. Yeah, More games than not, that wind's been blowing out to right. It has. We've had two, maybe three, blown out to left. But there, you know, when Kohler was out, Hunter Hines was our only left-handed hitter in the order. Mm-hmm. So you haven't had many opportunities from left-handed hitters. And with that wind blowing in from left, a lot of times, I mean, until Mershon came back and right, Mershon, gives you the switch hitting presence. Yeah. So you haven't had a whole lot of opportunities. And he's not exactly a guy going up there 
looking to put one out in right field. No, he's looking to put the ball on the ground and, and beat it out. And But, you know, we do have a lot of, you know, a propensity for a lot of ground ball here early in the season. Getting Kohler back in the lineup is going to help you a lot. I mean, he's batting 333 right now, so that's going to help you some. And so I think the injuries that have played a part, I think they have. Now, I don't think you can use injuries as a crutch by losing some of the games we lost. I think both are true, meaning injuries have hurt us, and that can't be an excuse because of who we were playing. We were not as good a team when Mershon wasn't in the lineup. We were not as good a team when Kohler wasn't in the lineup. It shouldn't have mattered. But we weren't. Right. Now, I don't care if the team gets the flu this weekend. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing I'm going to do to come in here on Sunday and tell you, no, nah, look, man, it was just uh, one of those things. Boy, that guy was just painting the black all day. We, we got to make some adjustments, right? Yeah, we do. Hey, um, I'll tell you what. Here's the thing about baseball season, Charlie is when you get into the spring of the year, you start having a lot of outdoor. You're going to country pleasing here. No, I'm not. Are you not? I'm going to Heartland Catfish. Okay. This time of year is great for catfish frying. And it's also great to go to great restaurants around the state of Mississippi that serve great catfish. Crystal Springs, Simpson County, Shivers Creek Fish House. And let me tell you something. If you're from central Mississippi and in south Mississippi, you know what I'm talking about with the great quality catfish from our good friends at Shivers Creek Fish House. Their fried dill pickles are outstanding as an appetizer, but they've got the fried fish plates, four pieces, six pieces, eight pieces, and, I mean, you can fill up on the great catfish from Shivers Creek Fish Houses in the central Mississippi in Simpson County and in Crystal Springs. Also have the Shivers Express Star and Star. And so they get that great catfish from our friends at Heartland Catfish over in the Mississippi Delta. From the farm all the way to your plate, Heartland Catfish. If you're needing a, needing a bunch of fish, if you own a restaurant, starting a restaurant, it's the best quality you can possibly have. It doesn't taste like mud like a, other, a lot of other places do. Our good friends at Heartland Catfish. Hey, you know what? I was disappointed. You did not mention the hush puppies there. Those are strong. Hush puppies are strong. The onion petals are good. And they have good coleslaw. So, to me, that is the measure of a restaurant. How's your coleslaw? A lot of people can mess that up. It's easy to mess up coleslaw. They don't mess it up. No. Our good friends at Shivers Creek Fish House. And uh, also our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage, Country Meat Packers on uh, Highway 49 in Florence, Mississippi. Country pleasing, making the best sausage. You know, I saw earlier today about how they're beginning to market their pit sauces and their slop sauces and, you know, their barbecue sauces. They're putting those in, in Walmarts throughout the southeast and different grocery stores in the southeast. So it's not just the great sausage, but it's also the brand. I mean, they do a great, a great job with all the things around the world of barbecue, and that's our good friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Go to countrypleasing.com. Make sure to go to the butcher shop down there. they got a great butcher shop, dry-aged steaks, at uh, Florence, Mississippi, on Highway 49. All right, do we want to talk a little bit about basketball? It's too soon. It's too soon? It's my life. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? <laughs> it's my life. You saw it working? Hey, before we talk about – basketball no bit. i don't i don't we don't talk about basketball no i this is not out of a place of disgust oh it's a place of hurt this is painful okay rate your pain the other night was it 
the putback in 04, we were ahead in that game. Had a jump ball, got a great defensive stop, had a jump ball. They had a putback and won it to the end. Eric Daniels, uh, 2004. That was the year we, we won the league. That one hurt. It also hurt in the SEC tournament when they had a lane violation and got a hold of the ball on the missed free throw. Remember that? I do. And that kept us out of the NCAA tournament. That was heartbreak, and we were mad at officiating because that was a terrible lane violation call. I think back to 2010, I believe the official was Mike Stewart who called a block when it was a definite charge. We had a seven-point lead on a packed hump that night. They were ranked number two in the country. That was a famous Boogie Cousins game where they had given out his phone number. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And they end up winning that game in overtime. That hurt a lot. Uh, the other night, Shepard hitting that shot, uh, it hurt a lot as well. Now, okay, I'm going to tell you why. Oh, wait, you got to go back to the early 80s, the one I told you about. Yeah, that was a little bit before yeah, I really followed it that closely. Oh. Well, and th- throw it away. And they we lay- throw away the inbounds pass. They go lay it in and beat us. Now, all right, I, we get in here sometimes and we talk about umpiring, we talk about officiating, football-wise, basketball-wise. And, yes, every basketball game you're going to look back and say, Daggum, that was a terrible call. I think basketball officiating in the men's game is the hardest to possibly do because the game is so fast, it is so physical, and you just got to figure out what you're going to call. And it, it's it's a tough gig. But you do have some some very poor officiating at times. I, I left there the other night, Charlie, and I may be completely wrong, with the hurt of losing this game. And I didn't blame officiating. <laughs> I really didn't have a whole – you know, we, we had some bad passes there, but at the end of the day, Kentucky is who they are offensively. They don't care about playing defense. They just want to have more possessions than you do. And what we saw in the last minute and a half of that game, they made all their free throws. We were down by eight and came back to tie the game. But the number of points that were scored in the last minute and a half, looking back from a, a holistic point of view, man, that was a really good basketball game. It was. It was a very good basketball game, if you could be detached from it. If you could be detached from a mental standpoint of knowing. Now, I will also say this. When Shepard made the shot, it did, It was a dagger. But I almost felt like, and I'm, I'm probably wrong on saying this, because you always want to give yourself a chance in overtime. But I felt exactly the same way when Shepard hit the shot as I did when Notre Dame hit the shot at the very end of the women's game of the national championship game. Because I felt kind of the same way then. It, what was her name who made the shot? Uh, Olga. Whatever her name was. Yeah. She hits the shot to win it. And the first thing I thought was like, hey, we're going to have a tough time winning in overtime because we didn't have Tierra McCowan. She had fouled out. The same way the other night. I felt we were going to have a tough time stopping Kentucky in the overtime period because Cam Matthews had fouled out. And having to play five more minutes without Cam would have made it an uphill battle. But that's a battle you want to fight. So it was not – like it was in 2004 to me because you had a lead at that time. And you go from winning a game to losing a game like that. Okay, that's enough. No, I I think I take a lot away from this basketball game. First is this. We've improved offensively. A lot of that has to do with Hubbard. But we've getting Murph back has been a very big deal for us. And you start to look at where can his career arc go. And you start to think about that pivotal moment of him whether he's coming back or not he had to step away deal with some issues 
Murph coming back could, I don't want to say a program changer, but. It could be a season could, changer for you. It could be a season changer, maybe a, a program. A next season changer. Yeah. And, and Hubbard's been so good. I mean, hey, making shots. He made it, that three he hit to you know, to tie the game <laughs> was absolutely nuts. Well, and some people, I think, make the mistake of Hubbard of looking at raw numbers. And I used to say this about Victoria Vivians in the women's game when I was defending her. People would say, well, she takes a lot of shots. What do you say is, though, but she could get off shots that other people couldn't. Yeah. And you say, well, she takes, well she's able to take shots. Other people, there are other guards out there who, when you get them the ball, just like you do Hubbard, can't get the shot off. He's quick. He elevates. But I'll tell you this, too. Since he started really hitting shots over the last couple weeks when he's hitting shots, what that also does for you in opening up the low post, Tolu is getting better looks now because Josh Hubbard is hitting shots. Everybody's getting better shots now, better looks now, because the floor is opening up a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. We're a good basketball team. This is a tough league. The SEC is a really good basketball league this year. And, uh, hey, of all the wishes that you had for the schedule this year, I know going to Bama was tough. I know playing Kentucky was tough. What we're about to do tomorrow, to me, is the one that hurts the worst. Because playing Auburn, you've got to win from them here. And now having to go over there. And let's think back to that close loss we had up in Oxford. Yeah. We then went to Alabama. We let Ole Miss beat us twice. They did. And it's going to be a challenge to avoid having Kentucky beat us twice. Because you can be locked in, dialed in, ready to play, well coached, have a great game plan, and go to Auburn and get murdered. Yeah. You have to have so many things go right to win over there. It's much, much more difficult if you aren't there mentally. Now, I didn't get the sense after this game that this team was dejected. I think they're like us. They're frustrated. They saw how close they came. But just looking at it on social media, it doesn't look like – they're not all carrying around the burden of a lifetime like you and me. <laughs> you know, those guys weren't around in 04. They weren't born in 04. Yeah, it's like <laughs> so, – y'all are it, – it's like us are, you know, be like our parents arguing about the tough loss that Bailey Howell had. It just doesn't – it doesn't register to us. Yeah. Same thing with them. It's a good basketball team. It it was a really good basketball game, and I think there's going to be more good basketball games. The thing that scares you as you look at the rest of this season is really tough game coming up at Auburn. What are the odds of winning that? Mathematically, by the numbers, not big, right, by Ken Palm. I'm not saying my opinion. 3%? Just the raw data. You have a 19% chance of winning the ball game at Auburn by Ken Palm. So here become the pivotal games. 51% at A&M and 68% South Carolina. I really believe you need to get both those. I, I'm just one of these believers. You don't leave the decision in the hands of the committee. No, not at all. Um, yeah, of course you definitely. Man, hey, A&M, they've, they've kind of imploded here. Here at the end of the year, I hope they lose again tonight. You know, tomorrow, and they're going in to Wednesday night because we play over there. What Wednesday night? We do. So they're going to be at Georgia this weekend. Man, Mike, what, what were they thinking? I don't get it. I don't. I don't get why Georgia would hire Mike White unless they just don't care. Ole Miss probably done now. Now they do have Missouri, but Missouri's not going to help them rating wise. Go to Georgia. 
and then finish with A&M. I mean, they could win out, go 9-9 nine and nine in the league, but just from a rating standpoint, that early season schedule – Comes back to bite you a little bit. Yeah, they would it? be ninety nine and probably, you know, possibly hosting the first round of NIT. Well, I'll tell you this. Here's what I'm preparing for, Charlie. Cold day today at the ballpark. All right. I got too cold a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday. I'm not gonna get cold today. And I'm actually when we leave here, I'm gonna wait till they open later today. I'm gonna go by and see our friends at Maroon and Company. Maroonandco.com. Go to Maroon and Company in the Cotton Mill Marketplace. And I'm gonna get me a sweatshirt. And I know we have our SEC Network shirts that we wear for our 10 seconds of fame when every broadcast begins. Charlie and I put on makeup and do our hair. We really don't, okay? We really we really don't. We do good to shave every now and then for that 10 seconds of fame that we get on the actual air. And yeah, so we could not have gotten less on Wednesday. And, and full disclosure, neither one of us want to be on the air. No, and in, in basketball, we're like fighting to not have on camera because I do not want to put on the tie. That's the big thing. Yeah. Do I have to put on the tie tonight? Yes, Bart, you have to put on the tie tonight. What about if I just put the jacket on? No, literally, it's like me fighting with my nine-year-old getting to go to school every day. Brush your hair. No, I'm not going to brush my hair today. Please brush your hair. And that's the way it is with me and putting on a tie for a broadcast. And I'm sorry, Charlie, you have to listen to that every single time. No, I'm with you. But I have won that battle multiple times. It all depends on who's working back in the studio. It does. It does. And so I'm going to go to Maroon and Company and get me a Mississippi State interlocking MSU sweatshirt. Hey, I tell you what I've been seeing. I have been seeing more and more Bulldog Initiative gear. I have somebody, too. This is kind of funny. So we're doing the game the other day, and somebody sent me a picture of somebody sitting behind home plate, and they had Bulldog Initiative gear on. And I said, "Hey, man, some good advertising back there." When well, that was my son, so he, he didn't have a choice. <laughs> How did he get back there? Uh, it wasn't from anything I gave him. Yeah, Michael he, can talk his way in anything. He's got some good friends. He's got some friends who have have access. But I saw a lot of white Bulldog Initiative pullovers on Tuesday night. At the whiteout. That was cool, too. We have fans that are great. Man, hey, it was a great atmosphere. Everything was great about it. But anyway, I'm going to uh, go get me a sweatshirt, get ready for the, uh, the cold air later this afternoon. Mississippi State, Mount St. Mary's baseball, but I'm going to get it at Maroon & Company, the Cotton Mill Marketplace. If I had uh, plenty of time, I'd go online to maroonandco.com. I am going to use the code NIL10, and NIL10 is going to give me a 10% off my purchase. And then 5% of that purchase is going to come back to the Bulldog Initiative. And that's our good friends at Maroon and Company. Also, Charlie, it ain't long now before we'll have the farmer's markets occurring down at Fire Station Park. You've got baseball Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week. You've got women's basketball on Sunday that I was reminded of just the other day that we have to broadcast on, on Sunday afternoon. I thought we had Sunday off, and then it's like, oh, my, we've got to broadcast women's basketball as well. And so if you're looking to come to Startville, trying to figure out where you want to eat, and you do need to make some dinner reservations because you don't want to get here on a Saturday night and walk into some of these places and say, hey, I'm just walking in. i got a party of four. Well, I ain't going to wait about 30 minutes because you didn't go online and get your reservations. And you can do all that and try to plan out your trip by going to startwell.org. And, hey, I talked to a lot of people that last weekend, Charlie, came here for the first time and played at the new Sportsplex, the new Cornerstone Park just out west of town. It is 
a fantastic first-class facility, tournament ball facility, and so you're going to see more and more tournaments being played out at Cornerstone Park and bringing more kids and young kids to to Startville. And so a lot of things going on in Startville, and go to startville.org. And one of the great places you can go in Startville is our good friends at Strange Brew Coffee House. Go to strangebrewcoffeehouse.com. They can ship you that great coffee. I started my day off, went by the office early, early this morning, and the first thing I did was made a pot of coffee, and I've got Strange Brew Coffee House blueberry cobbler flavored coffee at the office. Put it in the coffee machine. I got like nine cups worth of blueberry flavored coffee. And so our friends at Strange Brew Coffee House, Spring Street and Highway 12, they're also in Tupelo as well, and also in Tuscaloosa. And so turn and spoon ice cream, we talk about it getting warmer. As the baseball season goes on, we talk about those fish fries with Heartland Catfish, but also it's a great time for ice cream at uh, Churn and Spoon Ice Cream right there by campus on Spring Street and Highway 12, our good friends at Strange Brew Coffee House. They got a lot of great mugs, too. They got a lot of great shirts. And so you can order all that stuff online at strangebrewcoffeehouse.com. I'm a little disappointed in you. I expected by now you would have given me a famous alumni of Mount St. Mary's. Well, I was actually going to tell a story about Mount St. Mary's and about the... Our friend Kenny Manning tells me, by the way, that the National Fire Academy is located near there. Is it really? It's the largest Catholic seminary in the country. And I'm going to tell you a little story about Mount St. Mary's, Charlie. Are you ready to hear this? I don't know. Have you ever heard of the French missionary Simon Brute? Well, I have not. But if he was a French Catholic missionary in the United States, there's going to be a Notre Dame tie-in here. Okay, here we go. Simon Brute was a teacher and a pastor for two decades in the formative years of Mount St. Mary's. And he was known as one of the foremost scholars in America. And so when Simon Brute left Mount St. Mary's, he became the founding bishop of the Diocese of Vincennes, Indiana. And he had a friend, Father Stephen Baden of Indiana, who had purchased 524 acres surrounding two lakes in South Bend, Indiana. And when he retired in 1835, he deeded the property to the Diocese of Vincennes. And so it was his dream to start a school you know, there because he thought it was a great spot. Well, Brute agreed with him, said it's the most desirable spot for a prosperous institution. And so when Brute died in 1839, the following bishop offered the 524 acres in South Bend to Father Soren, Edward Soren, for the purpose of starting a college. And so Notre Dame can be traced back to Simon Brute, who said, you know what, this is a great place for Which well, sounds like all Brute really did was know somebody who knew somebody. Well, that's true, but that's the whole key to the sounds world. Sounds like it, he's kind of like he used somebody to latch on to the story here. I think he tried to latch on to the story. Well, so, anyway. Well, but, I can tell you this. There have been five baseball players from Mount St. Mary's to play in Major League Baseball. Okay. But you'd have to go back to the early 1900s to find any of them. Ed Kenna played 1902. Joe Engel Debuted in 1912. Ed Edelin played two games in 1932. You get the idea. Well, none of those guys will be watching on the Plus this weekend. No, we won't have Dan Costello tuning in. He passed away in Pittsburgh in 1936. You know what I think of when I think of Mount St. Mary's? 
in basketball, they were always a decent team and going to the NCAA tournament. And they had a coach named Jim Phelan who always wore the bow tie. Remember Jim Phelan who was a coach? He retired there several years ago. That's the guy I remember from Mount St. Mary's. Of course, it's in Fredericksburg, Maryland. Now, the one thing you would see, a lot of priests, a lot of archbishops, Edward Laurie, archbishop in Baltimore. So most of theirs becomes their history is tagged to leaders within the church as opposed to leaders on the sports field. But Joe Engel that I mentioned spent his career with the Washington Senators. Huh. Became a team owner in the minor leagues. President John Quincy Adams called Father Simon Brute the most learned man in his day in America. Also have a Supreme Court justice from a long time ago. This one. All right, remember when you go to um, the College World Series, you're driving up, and you always see these things for Boys Town back in the day? Yeah. Edward Flanagan, an Irish priest who went to Mount St. Mary's, is the one who started that. Started Boys Town? Serving as a priest in the Diocese of Omaha. Okay. It's right there by the Pennsylvania border, just about 30 miles south of Gettysburg. And so if you ever want to go up to Mount St. Mary's and visit the campus. You ever been to Gettysburg? I have not. I you, have. You have? Was it, if you were at Gettysburg, if you make another trip, you need to make your way down to Mount St. Mary's. Take a look at the largest Catholic seminary in the United States. All right, Charlie. Baseball later today. 3 o'clock Thursday, 3 o'clock Friday, then uh, 2 o'clock on Saturday. Women's basketball Sunday at 2 o'clock. Men's basketball on the road at Auburn this weekend, taking on the Auburn Tigers. All right, well, let's get back together Sunday and break it all down unless something takes place between now and then where we think news demands our attention. So see you Sunday.